Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Hello everyone, you're listening to Bow Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by our legal alien from across the sea, Luke. How are you doing tonight, man? Legal alien, thank you very oh, much. Illegal, uh, illegal alien. There's no oh, legal. illegal, illegal. There's no, there's no such thing as a legal alien in the United States. <laughs> there's rules here. Yes. This one, the rules are Yes, there, there would be a lot of angry people who would, who would have you believe that, those, that such thing doesn't exist. Um, I am as always. Thank you so much for the glowing introduction, which you know, never, ne- never, never fails to both insult me and at the same time make me feel welcome. Yeah, that's the that's the, the whole point. <laughs> if you're not doing that, you're not you're not living in a masculine fashion the right way. So, did you know that the Houston Texans played and won a football game last week? Good heavens! Did they, did they really? That's yeah, I think so. What really shocking! Where, Saturday where, seems so long ago on my end. Like, there's such a huge difference between Saturday and Sunday that, like, I, I, it just seems like it's been two weeks since they played a football game. But they did play and they did beat the Jets. Were you able to watch it live and all that? I watched parts of it live because it was a Saturday. So I actually, there were there was a couple of other things that I had on in the background. But I was able to catch the last quarter, the last the fourth quarter or so. I watched DeAndre Hopkins do crazy DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. So that was that was immensely satisfying to watch, um, and not watch you know the slow. Oh, they jump out to an early lead, and then they slowly get reeled in over time. I got to I get to avoid all of those those wonderful things, and you know just get to sit there during the grueling end, where it's just like, oh please God, don't don't give up a touchdown on the final drive. Just don't, please. I don't want this. So how do you get to watch football? Do you just watch streams of it online, or does like Sky Sports Network play it, or I don't know British ESPN play? It? I don't know how it works all over there. <laughs> So this this is the thing, and I came came up against uh, a weird weird little outlet of it last week. So I have NFL games that's how I watch it week to week. However, Sky Sports has the rights to it over in UK and Ireland, so they have the rights to show all of the AFL games. However, they only show one particular one on the channel that they're covering at the time. That game that week is blacked out in the UK and Irish market, especially on Game Pass. So a couple, so I think it was, I want to say the week of the Cleveland game. Sky Sports were showing that game, so it was blacked out on Game Game Pass for me, and I don't have Sky Sports because I don't pay for Trust. Oh, gotcha. Who the, who the hell does that anymore? I mean, this is 2018. We have other means of watching, you know. So it's bad whenever they actually play the Texans on television for you then. Yes, yes. And, you know, for such a long time, I was blessed by the fact that they played in the AFC. No one, no one wants to watch yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if they continue this weird streak of being good, um, I fear I might get, you know, blacked some more. But that's, but that's about it for now. My, my lucky, lucky streak is kind of perceiving, and I'm able to watch them whenever I can. Yeah, that's interesting. 
So for this game, it was on the NFL Network, which I don't pay for because I too am a, a stupid millennial who doesn't <laughs> pay for cable. T- well, actually, I do pay for cable television, but I'm locked in some contract where I, I don't, oh, I don't no. get NFL Network or ESPN. It's about to come oh, to an yeah. end, though, but it's been great because I just get like to watch The Sopranos for free and things like that. But I don't have NFL Network, so I watch my laptop through a stream. Uh, and this game was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. Like the first half, I was in like a super bad mood that I was going to watch this game. I took <laughs> micro naps and micro dose throughout the first half of it. And then like the second quarter hit and the Jets started throwing the football. I said, okay, wait a second here. This may actually be an enjoyable endeavor. And, you know, Houston up winning 29-22. It was a much more fun game than I was expecting. And my first question for you is, are you more optimistic about the Texans' playoff chances after they beat the Jets by Sunday, by seven last Saturday? Um, hmm. No, not particularly. Because I believe this team is, quite frankly, a finished product. And I don't think beating a team this late into the season, especially one which isn't going to make the playoffs like the Jets, is really a great indicator of, you know, I feel confident about this team going into the playoffs where they're going to play ostensibly better teams in a much higher pressure situation in that it's single elimination. So, yeah. Uh, playing teams in the playoffs is a great, or sorry, play, like, beating the Jets late in the season is not, uh, it's not giving me hope for playoff football. However, I am curious as to why, why you're optimistic about it. Um, yeah, yeah I like this strange galactic brain take on this game where I'm, I'm more optimistic on their playoff chances now because like the Texans during their win streak, they're winning games and this big, you know, giant elephant was just, there in the room blowing his nose, taking a bath in the sink. And everybody's completely ignoring the fact that they have this terrible secondary. Nobody's attacking it. Their secondary is good according to pro football focus. Their pass defense, yards allowed is good because yards are a bad measure of success. And mm-hmm. nobody, they were playing a bunch of teams that can't throw the football. And this just kept happening week in and week out. And nobody was talking about it. Nobody was really thinking about it at all. And the Colts game happened. They beat Sharice Wright. They threw the ball downfield. They had great success with it. And now the Jets did it again, too. And so I feel like now even the, even the Texans coaching staff, I think, overrated their secondary. And so I think now even they've realized that, hey, the secondary's bad. <laughs> we have to do more than score 24 points in a game to beat teams that – we can't even cover Travis ben- Benjamin. We can't even cover Robbie Anderson. Like, how are we going to cover Mike Williams or Keenan Allen or Juju Smith-Schuster or you know, even John Brown, you know? And so I think they finally realized this. They're like, okay, well, we, we struggle with this thing. We're going to have to, one, focus more on our pass rush, and we'll talk about that in a second. And, two, we're going to have to score more points. And so I think in this game, one of the big keys was that, you know, Alfred Blue still got a bunch of carries, but I think they threw the ball more than I've expected them to. They threw a lot more play action, a lot more downfield passes. Um, the passing game was just also better towards the end of the game as well, too. And so I think they finally realized that, one, you know, their team isn't as good as they thought it was, which it hasn't been. And I think now they're actually understand this and can do things about it so that whenever January comes, they're not completely surprised. They're surprised now. And now I think they can actually work and do things about it instead of just like the gates of hell opening up on January you know, 6th, whenever the postseason starts. Oh, so it's like this late season humbling has inadvertently prepared them for what will ultimately yeah, yeah. Come, come down. That's a very interesting take. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely one way to think about it. You, if you, I kind of, I'm interested in that. If you ascribe to that notion, you also at the same time ascribe to the notion that the Texans coaches just didn't want, didn't even, didn't think that this was a problem, 
even though everyone else was just, or sorry, a lot of the numbers and a lot of indicators surrounding it would be like, yeah, this is this is going to become an issue later when we actually play serious passing teams and teams with more potent passing offenses. And like they were just like, nah, it's fine. Look, yeah, that's how I, that's how I imagine it. Else? Grand, don't worry about it. That's uh, how I imagine it actually. Like I imagine like, yeah, Jonathan <laughs> Joseph, nobody's catching passes against him. Look at Sharice Wright, knocked the ball at the last second. Hey, Justin Reed's really good. Uh, we're winning. Fo- and the biggest thing is just like winning football games mass so much of everything. And there's yeah. such a difference between winning games and your performance and in football with the short schedule and how silly of a game it is. You can be not that good of a team and win games. You can be a really good team and lose games like the Denver Broncos this year. And I, I think just winning games masks a lot of the problems on this team. And now they finally lost the game. You know, they, they struggled against the Jets who were even able to throw the ball against them. I think there's been kind of like a, an awakening, you know. They've been baptized a little bit. <laughs> just like a foot, not the whole head in the water. Yeah, yeah, it's just like dip, like dip a pinky toe in and just like, ooh, that's quite cold. Yeah, ooh. yeah. No, I, and I think that kind of like speaks to a little, little bit about what winning as a whole is perceived to be. Yeah, winning is the end goal. Winning is very important, but again, like you said, you can cover a lot of things. It's why... Um, People oftentimes get very annoyed and very angry when people when people say things like, "Oh yeah, wins aren't a quarterback stat." They're not. They're like Joe Flacco went sixteen and zero and and had that phenomenal playoff run. He's going to get cut by the team that paid him an absurd amount of money a couple yeah. of years. Yeah, well, that was that was and that was also like six years ago too. Or I think, yeah, that was six years ago. Yeah, we're going to die one day. That was six years oh, ago. Man. But I like I I think quarterback wins are fine. Kind of like how pitching wins are fine you have to understand that there is part of a measure to it where like you have to understand the limitation of it. Cause good quarterbacks usually win more games than bad quarterbacks, you know, but to say like, Oh, Hey, uh, Watson's one of the three best quarterbacks in football because his, his record now is, you know, 17 and eight. That's a bad, that's a bad use for mm-hmm. it. But like, I mean, I think like, even like I said, baseball pitching stats, you know, good pitchers tend to win more games than bad pitchers. And whenever a good pitcher does win a lot of games, there's reasons to show why. It's like it's just another number. Yeah, I know. And I love, but again, winning winning does create that kind of environment or just where it's almost like an aura of invincibility starts to form, right? And it's very hard to start to self-evaluate in those kind of bubbles yeah. where you're trying to think to yourself, okay, we're doing really, really well right now. What could we be doing better? Well, is winning, if you're a, if winning is your threshold of what you're going, of what you need to do and you're accomplishing that then why should we consider doing it better if we're doing enough to actually meet our goals yeah oh and i think that sentence really sums up what the texas did on offense to start the year during the win streak it wasn't hey we're winning games by one score uh we're barely scoring 24 points we had deshaun watts and deandre hopkins we should score more than 24 points there is never that realization it's like yeah we'll just keep doing this because it's working we're winning games and now I think it's kind of like there's been an understanding that's been a little bit different. So with this game, the Jets played it. The Texans played another team that threw the ball against them. And this time it was Sam Darnold. Now, Darnold's thrown 15 interceptions this year. He's lead the league in interceptions. He was second interception rate sandwiched right between Brian Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston. And he was actually pretty good in this game at throwing the football. Like, I was really surprised. I watched him after watching him, you know, previous games as well, too. And he did a good job finding uh, Robbie Anderson man coverage, finding holes in the zone. He did a really good job of getting outside the pocket when the Texans rushed on the interior. And also after Juan Clowney's first pass rush moves were stopped, and they kind of tried to loop back inside to him. He did a good job getting outside on it. 
So do you think teams have finally figured out that if they're going to beat the Houston Texans, they need to throw the football? Yeah, yeah I mean, again, like they should have been able to scout this way ahead of time. Like, the, the, again, <laughs> but this, nobody did. No, this is the this is the really really absurd thing. It's just like either they just realized they just looked at their own team, like the Jaguars looked at their team, or the Titans looked at their team, and it was like, listen, we are better off giving the ball to Leonard Fournette or Derrick Henry thirty times a game than we are to hand it off to a quarterback, which again is really really dire when you think about it. But like they, yeah. Teams should be able to to pre-scout this. This isn't a secret. There have been like we've covered. I've covered this kind of a little bit before, and it's been. If you look back on the Texans games in the past over the past year, even you will see. Yeah, this team has struggled in the secondary. Not much has really changed, and if you like, pay attention to that, it still continued. So, again, how teams haven't started to attack this sooner, I think. Again, Part of it lies in the context of the teams that the Texans have played, which have been, you know, teams with um, Alex Some Smith. Of the worst passing offense in football. Yeah, yeah, those. So, yeah. but yeah, those kind, of, those kind of teams. So it's, I don't, I think teams may have known. It's just the Texans, the Texans schedule struck really well in that none of them were able to actually execute, execute it against them or wanted to because they knew they would have to give the ball to Blake Portals and ask mm-hmm. him to throw 30 times a game, which... Is unsavory to think about. <laughs> and that's a nice way to say it too. Blake Boros <laughs> throwing the football is an unsavory option. Yeah, and, and like, and it was on the fact that the Texans didn't beat any good teams during their win streak. You know, they did. Washington was was overrated at the time, but they were okay. Denver's been you know okay this year. The bigger problem is the reason why they won so many games though is that those teams' strengths align exactly with the Texans' defensive strength, which is stopping the run. And so I think now, like, yeah, like teams understand this. The Jets are throwing the football 38 times against you. I think teams have kind of, like, finally figured out that just don't run the ball at Houston. It's not going to go well. I think in this game, it's off the top of my head, but the Jets, ha- the Jets running backs average 2.2 yards a carry, which is, like, better than a lot of the other guys. I know that uh, the Colts, like, picked up 34 yards and 17 carries in their game. And so like, just don't run the ball at your running backs. It's not going to go well. Now, with the Texans struggling at covering the pass, uh, what changes can they make to fix it? And also, how much of an impact will possibly adding Aaron Colvin or Kayvon Webster have compared to benching you know, Shreya Sarai and these other guys? Um, precious little. Um, I, I wish I could just have like, such a more um, flowing or interesting answer, but realistically, they're not going to change schemes right now. That's, it would be... Crazy thing to do just mid-season, especially this close to the playoffs at a time where you need to be more cohesive more than anything else. If Romeo Cornell was to decide to just look, hey, change places, everyone's running cover three right now, we're going man across the board. It would be ambitious, but it would also, I think, serve, you'd have to go through maybe through a two or three week race period of, yeah, we're just going to get our hooks kicked because our DBs don't know how to play the coverage scheme. So that's one of the key problems. As for the actual talent man- manning those positions, I mean, listen, uh, the Texans' secondary going into the season was kind of relying a lot on Kevin Johnson and Aaron Cole. If Kevin Johnson could return to some of the semblance of his form from his rookie year or even his second year, then the Texans actually had a viable path going forward. They had a consistent cornerback option. He was still young. They could continue to develop and build around him. 
so, same kind of idea for Aaron Coleman. Essentially, we take him out of what was the best pass defense in all football, where he had a great front seven and he had a fantastic alignment of DBs behind him with Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye. Take him out of that system and hopefully he's just as good. That hasn't been the case to a quite a large degree. Some of that's due to injuries. And again, this is the kind of where it's fallen in that the two young Texans corners in both of these scenarios have both been injury riddled. At the same time, neither of them, when they've been on the field, have shown any semblance of being good. So it's just, it's just the cycle of the team as a whole has kind of just landed on the fact that, oh yeah, the Texans really haven't developed or invested that much in, or sorry, that much out of their investments into the DB position and the quarterback in particular over the past couple of years, and it's just now bearing fruit over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Or not really bearing fruit, unless that fruit was, you know, something that tasted like feces. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just that scenario right now of um, the Texans are just in a really bad situation and this is kind of going to be their lot. Um, if they can work around that, that's great. But I don't think they kind of can. I think if they're going to get undone, it's going to be by their personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is what I have to say the Texans should have franchise tagged A.J. Boye, you know. <laughs> that, that would have solved a lot of these problems. But uh, regardless, yeah, I completely agree. Because this game specifically, you saw a lot of Jonathan Joseph playing eight yards off the line of scrimmage and man coverage. Because if he plays any closer to the ball, you run the risk of him getting burned deep, which has been a problem for him since, you know, 2014. Like, this isn't anything new at all. And then whenever he plays, you know, four yards off the ball, even in man coverage, he doesn't have the ability to really break on it like he used to. Because he used to be so great, like recognizing the route, seeing it, you know, two steps ahead, breaking on making a play on the ball. That fourth and one they threw to Robbie Anderson is a great example of that. And that was never, so funny. Yeah, and like it was a great look by Anderson too, but. I, I just couldn't believe just watching the alignment. It was like fourth and one, he's playing five yards off. And I'm like, dude, don't, don't do it. He's going he's gonna to run underneath. He's just going to do it. Yeah. Have a free release, stop it. And he got close, too, on that play. The worst one was a third and one where he played eight yards off. And like, what are, we yeah. even doing? what are we even doing here, you know? Like, Anderson's a fine, like, second wide receiver. But as a wide receiver number one, you can't play eight yards off a guy. And he's not even that good of a, as a, of a first receiver either. The other thing that happened, too, was whenever they played zone coverage, uh, they didn't really have a lot of success with that either. And there was just a lot of holes in the zone for Darnold. He attacked them pretty well and pretty often. And there was just a lot of stuff available, especially between the second levels of the defense. Um, and like, it was just like everything right between the first and second level, there was a guy there that was open. And Darnold was able to find that pretty well as, well as too. So, yeah, I think like even it doesn't matter they play man or zone, they're going to have problems. It's just something that they're kind of stuck with the personnel they have. Yeah, it's, it's just a little bit too late in the season there to try and make any drastic changes. Um, mm-hmm. this, is, this, is what, this is what you're dealing with. This is, if it's, if this is what sinks the chip and that's going to be it. Yeah, and the one – and, like, my preview that I wrote before the season started, my idea was that I think the Texans are going to win nine games if Juan, if Juan Clowney are healthy. Uh, or if the, the Texans pass rush is like a top ten pass rush, they'll win probably ten games. If it isn't, they'll win probably seven games, so I picked nine. And so, actually, Juan Clowney had been healthy all year long. Clowney didn't really start playing well until week four. Juan not until week three. But that's, the, that's their path to be something better than, you know, like a, a second-round playoff exit or a first-round playoff exit. It's those two guys being like 
2015 Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware, where they have five sacks combined, you know, 10 quarterback hits, a forced fumble, a touchdown, an interception. And that's where their only paths even limit a team to, you know, 24 points, 27 points. And then the offense has to be you know, better than that, get on the opposite end. Uh, do you think Wall and Clowney can be that, be that duo come January? I do. Um, again, what, what defenses are going to be, or sorry, what offenses are going to be doing with, against them in terms of where they're going to add additional blockers and whether the Texans will actually want to commit um, additional blitzers? It's going to be um, a little bit harder to kind of, uh, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here? To kind, of, to kind of get working because what and Clowney do have those names where they just kind of disappear and you're not really sure. Okay, like we need these guys to be full And for me, I just in this like in the current scheme schematic system, I don't trust Romeo Cornell to get them going 100 percent of the time. I think there'll be three or four plays that you'll think that you'll see. Either like again, like in the uh, I think it was the division round a couple of years ago, uh, yeah, well, year, like two years ago against the Patriots, where yeah. um, you had Clowney and Clowney and Merciless lining up over the A gap, and those those kind of blitz packages and directions in which you can bring pressure, those kind of things should be a lot more common and should be a lot more done. And to be fair, Clowney is blitzing a lot more over interior interior caps now, which he should be because that's where he's the strongest. He's not really that good out on the edge. He's not a speed rusher. He can't really dip and rip. He's more of a just, I'm going to jump off of my right foot into your left shoulder and just barrel straight through. So faster, I'm stronger. However, getting putting him and what on the edge oftentimes just kind of limits that kind of usefulness in terms of, yeah, I can blow on you just so fast on the inside, I'm, but no, I need to maintain depth in terms of I'm edge rushing. So I'm going to push and get to the pockets and trying to roll in. That doesn't really play to their strengths. So if there, if there was a different kind of scheme or if they were being used in a little, used more consistently in a certain way, yeah, I'd say that these guys could really actually, could really push the Texans' defense forward or carry it to a certain degree. In its current iteration, no, I don't think that's going to be that much of an option. Yeah, and I know one of the things that BFD and I have been harping on throughout the show, uh, throughout this year is, the lack of using Watt rushing as a three technique. He was really good at it whenever Wade Phillips was defensive coordinator. And throughout Romeo Cornell's time, he's pretty much been using him as a nine technique or a five technique out on the edge. But this game, at the, at the end of the game, he completely changed it up. He put he left Clowney against the left tackle. He put Merciless against the right tackle. Then put, put Watt as a three technique. Texas in the game with – and then they had – Watt had a sack, Clowney had a sack in the game. And they also like both hit him at the same time to force an incompletion on third down as well too. And so like that should be their four man rush. If Christian Covington's the other defensive tackle, if it's Angelo Blackson, if it's Brandon, it doesn't matter who cares who's playing from that spot in the other defensive tackle position, but with Clowney, Watt, and Merciless all in their best pass rushing positions, uh, that's the best. I think that's the best opportunity Houston has to have a you know, even better pass rush than what it's been. And so I really enjoyed the fact that they switched from, yeah, Watts against the right tackle, Clowney's against the left tackle, even though the Jets were on their backup right tackle in that game. And they switched Watts to the interior. It worked out really well, and they were able to close this game out because of it. Mm. And I think one of the like you can hit on there, Watt played a lot during the first couple of years, and he's really his most productive 
years outside of, I think it was Italy, his last 20-sack season. Yeah, it was 14, um, I think. Whenever yeah, he had that, absolutely. like, seven-touchdown year. Yeah, that, like, that's when he started to get kicked outside. And I think this is partially due to the fact that he just had a lot of heft within the defense, defensive scheme as a whole. And Wade Phillips was more than comfortable to just say, yeah, you just go out there, pick whichever offensive lineman you want to bully for the day, and we'll just let you go do that. And yeah. what I think kind of got used to the fact of, yeah, I can pick on the right tackle all day. That's great. I can pick on maybe the strategically worst offensive lineman on their line, and I can go after him over and over and over again. And that works pretty well. Also, working on the inside is imminently more harder, or sorry, is more tougher on a player's body than it is working on the edge when you're only dealing with one. Yeah, yeah, offensive defensive line as a whole is a very violent thing. Working the interior against working the exterior is a whole different kind of thing. So I think Watt's injuries as a whole and being able to protect him um, have kind of played into this a little bit more. Um, I'm not saying, yeah, he doesn't want to play on the interior. He does. I think that's what we've kind of proved. It's just whether the Texans want to embrace and just shift him back inside. I think it's the same too for Clowney. Clowney works really well on the inside. Do you want to commit so many snaps to having him on the inside? Eh, maybe. Like, think, think about it like this. Who do the Texans have that are primary five or seven technique rushers? Whitney Merciless, maybe Duke Edge for who else? Who else on the roster can actually occupy? Brian Scarlett had a 94.7 pro football focus grade, so you have to toss him in there too. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he did. Um, but just play, like, the set, seven and nine techniques as a whole have been something which the Texans have just kind of neglected because in their system they haven't really valued edge rushers at all because why, why would they go after them? Um, they have Watt and Clowney, and they're just perfectly fine to stick those two guys on the edges, get really good production out of them, and then build up the interior of their line, which is what they've done more and more of, and what they've actually got more talent um, on the interior rather than the exterior. So Covington, Reader, Carlos Watkins, that's like three or four different three or four different guys who are all drafted to be like, interior defenders, whilst Tony and Watt just essentially just stuck on the edges and were Marcus, Marcus Ware and Bob Miller. Whether or not it'll it'll kind of depend on how that's going to look going forward. If the Texans actually do want to target a, another edge rusher, or they move to a four three and actually bring Whitney Merciless down to the defensive line, yeah, I believe one of one of them has to get kicked inside. Whether or not that will be a consistent thing, who knows? Um, I think there's a whole. I think one of the Texans' strengths is the fact that they move so many pieces around on the defensive line. And I think bringing Whitney Merciless down allows you to just continue to do that because you can just line guys up at different slots. You can make the most out of that versatility and attack um, opposing teams' offensive line. So it's it's just an option which I feel gives them more versatility and gets more production and more um, more quality out of the pieces that they've got rather than just trying to make it like Cloudy versus the left tackle while against the right tackle. And yeah. you know, like in the Colts game, one of the reasons why they lost that Colts game was that Wide provides zero pass rush against Brain Smith. Brain Smith is like one of the seven best right tackles in football right now. And it's really weird to see how quickly that happened. Then Clowney got really close against Costanza, but there was not the box score production. And it's like, why and Clowney have to be box score good? They can't just be football good for the Texans to actually be good football teams. 
I but yeah, I completely agree. I think what you're saying about Law in the interior is he's having to deal with two guys, three guys at times, compared to the exterior where it's a chip every once in a while, but mainly it's one on one against a tackle. And with his injury history, you don't want him to hit, you know, by three guys at a time. But I do really like this this pass rush package in third downs. You know, you face eight third downs in a game. Use that every single time. Don't even think about it otherwise. Mm-hmm. And also at the last two minutes of a half and last two minutes of a game too, when you're purely rushing the passer, go to your dime front, your nickel front, put Watt the three, Clowney at the against the left tackle, and then Merson's the right tackle, and then just sub in whoever's hot at the three on the other side. And that's I think your best option to rush the passer. And so, like, if they like, if they get any sort of lead and teams are forced to throw, uh, the game is going to be really, really long. And that's kind of like putting – it's kind of weird, too, because, like, in a strange way, the Texans want to play a closer game because that may, means the team's going to run the ball against them a little bit more. Whereas they have a lead by, like, 10 points, then they're going to throw every time. And that's exactly what Houston doesn't want. So, but, yeah, like, anytime, like, it's a super obvious pass, passing situation, I really think that's what they need to go out and do every single time. Because the only way they can stop the pass is if they get pressure. And even then, they may not be able to stop the pass, but at least there's the opportunity for it. Yeah, and it also actually breeds opportunities for other players. Like, if you're using four men on the defensive line and those three, three of those four are clowny, what, merciless, the fourth guy, he has, a, he has a chance for a great amount of production because he's going to get singled across the board. Like, you're either going to overcommit to clowny or what because you pretty much have to double-team one of them. You're going to leave Whitney Merciless either alone or else you're going to have to commit a running back or a tight end to chip block him on the next side. And this, this in case, leaves chances for DJ Reader, for Christian Covington, for whomever else to essentially just become an interior threat. And if they can essentially make the most out of those certain packages, yeah, these guys, like you, have suddenly have a defensive line where you can't commit doubles across any part of the defensive line and everything suddenly looks a lot, lot brighter for the Texans in terms of creating a consistent... Yeah, and I know that you've wanted Houston run the 4-3 for a while now. They're running it, and they ran the first half a lot. They ran the third quarter a lot, and their 4-3 consisted of Wally and Clowney defensive end, uh, you know, DJ Reader and Covington defensive tackle, and then you have uh, Cunningham as your weak side linebacker, McKinney as your middle linebacker, and then Merciless as your strong side linebacker. And, it, you know, it was fun. And the reason why I really enjoyed it was just because DJ Reader was spectacular going up against one guy in the A-gap, then two guys every time line up over the center. And, like, Reader this year has been fine. Like, I see so much stuff from Texans people that Reader's one of the – he's the best nose tackle in football. And, you know, he's the best run-stopping defensive tackle in football or whatever. And, like, he's okay. You know, he's been, he's been all right this year. He's able to suck up double teams and not get pushed back. But there's not, like – he hasn't been spectacular, though. Like, watch Bram Williams in Baltimore and then watch Reader. There's a big difference between the two. But, like, Reader this game, going up against one guard at a time, like, he was just unblockable. And I think he had, like, six tackles in this one. It was by far the best game of, his, of, his, of the entire season. And it's just hilarious difference between being a, you know, a two-gap nose tackle and then a one-gap, you know, a one-gap, a one-or-three technique. It's just, like, the difference in uh, tackles and plays you can actually make on the ball. So, yeah, just, like, Reader being great has made, like, the 4-3 entirely worth it. Regardless of what the results are, I don't really care. But like McKinney able to chase and tackle as much as he did and control the entire interior, and then Reader doing what he did. I made Saturday a lot of fun. Yeah, just again, it's getting it's getting the most out of the pieces that you have. And like even even if you want to look at it, think about it in terms of just development for a player process. Putting young players like that and giving them opportunities to pick plays and to actually 
be influential in an individual game, that's great. That's all you can really ask for, especially from Reader who was, I want to say fifth round? So if you can develop fifth, yeah, fifth, fifth or sixth, I think he was a late rounder. Um, if you can get him into situations where he can actually produce, he can start getting more and more, like, essentially build his confidence and get more and more out of him. Like that's that's all you have to ask for, and that's absolutely great. It's just it's oftentimes very hard for teams to do that and for teams to recognize that and just sort of actualize it. Um, so four three is great just to check. Yeah, we can continue to develop defense, which I think is a big part because I think the Texans defensive line could be a bit of an issue um, in a couple of years. Yeah, so it's important for them to have like a steady roster, a steady stable of young talent. And the other thing I like about it too is that you have Merciless, uh, Cunningham, and McKinney at the linebacker spots. You have Watt, Reader, Clowney at defensive line. And throughout the entire season where they run the 3-4 or the 4-3, the problem is that other position, that eighth guy. And you would rather have that eighth guy be Christian Covington, Blackson, Dunn, you know, uh, who, or whoever. It doesn't really matter. That's a lot better than putting Callum Bailly, or Brandon Scarlett, or Dylan Cole, or whoever at the other outside linebacker position. And it also keeps Jadavion Clowney from playing outside linebacker, where he isn't as good. He needs to play defensive end. And so I think just by addition, by subtraction, too, has been a lot better. But the Texans have a lot more depth at like, just a guy defensive end than just a guy outside linebacker. And I think they get their best players in the field when they run the 4-3. And then also whenever they run that four-man defensive line rotation in nickel and dime and pass rushing situations, too. But yeah, like as good as the run defense has been, I think it can be even better in a way now. And then also, as good as the pass rush has been, I think it can be even better too. Uh, just by running packages, they get their best, they get their best players out on the field. Yeah. Um, however, even if he, even if we do run the right packages, there's nothing to stop Romeo Cornell, you know, dropping Christian Covington in coverage again. Which yeah. is, I saw that and I was like, that's the best thing I've seen all season. It's so stupid, but it makes like I know where that comes from. That came from, like, a couple of years ago, Vince Wilfork, like, had, I think it was a pick six or something for New England. He had that interception, uh, but I don't even know if he dropped back on it or if he just stopped his rush to read the quarterback. I think... I can't remember. I want to say he dropped. I'm going to look that up right now. Um, Did Vince Wilfork drop? (laughs) Yeah, if it did, Vince Wilfork. It was a great catch, though. Like, it was... It was, was like, watching... Like, you know, King Kong grab an airplane out of the air. Like, it was just beautiful how he grabbed that. Oh, one. yeah. But, like, this is the thing. It's just, like, it's been done once by one guy, so therefore it could be done again by some other guy. So, like, no, I'm not sure if you want to, like, create that, create that, like, yeah. yeah but let, let's, put, let's put this specific package in rather than, yeah, let's get a password that's consistent. Yeah, I don't know there are two parallel lines at all in that case. And even then, with that Covington drop back, I think it kind of worked in the fact that it stopped the, the, sl- the crossing route right there rather than letting him run across the field more. Like, the play didn't work because Matthew had decent coverage. It wasn't because Covington – like, he throws, the, he throws the ball right to the left to Covington. He can't even make a play on it because he's so slow. Uh, but, yeah, it was just super funny, though, that Cornell, like, even tries it. Yeah, no, it, they're, they're, just, they're just those things, like, constant, like constantly dropping, dropping J.W. Downey into coverage. Occasionally, defensive linemen into coverage, like that—that that kind of just wacky stuff. You're just like, ah, oh, why are you doing this? And you just know he's thinking in his head, it's just like, it'll happen again. I know it will. I got Vince to do it once. We're gonna do it again. I promise. Yeah, 
Yeah, and like Cornell's 71 years old. So I guess he was born in like 1947, you know? So like, oh. yeah. So like, I'm sure like he's just kind of old and tired and, you know, his brain scarred and all that. So he's just trying whatever he can at this point. So while, while you look up the Invincible Fork thing, we'll take a quick break. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about the offense. And we're back. So we did find the Zapruder film, and frame 137 shows Vince Wolfork watching Phil Rivers' eyes, and he sees the screen go outside, and he stops his rush, runs out there, pops the ball up in the air like a super cuts balloon, and then catches it and then takes off himself. So he did not drop back. Uh, these colors don't bleed, but he did still intercept the pass. And, you know, I could see Christian Covington doing something similar. His belly has gotten just as big as Vince Wolfork, so – I think it would look a lot, very similar if it did work out like that. Um, I will go full X Files and say I will, I do believe that Vince or sorry that Romeo Cornell has forced the three hundred pound defensive lineman to drop into coverage <laughs> at some points during his career. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, it, it has to have happened. Christian Covington can't be the first. So, um, if any of you out there are into really dumb expeditions into the NFL game footage, if you can find another example of that, please send it to us. We will more than happily giggle along to it and just be like, why is this a thing? But also, you know, reveling in the fact that it is. Yeah. And I bet I could probably even go back to like, like watch, I probably pick a Ram Texans game and see at least one example of Christian Covington dropping back or Angel Blackson dropping back in coverage. Um, so that's enough about the defense from this game. Offensively, Houston ran the super cool offense at times in the first half. And by super cool, I mean, they ran the option. They ran the zone read. They ran that uh, long play-action fake where they faked the handoff and they faked the jet sweep, and they just tossed the ball downfield. Uh, they, th- they scored a touchdown on it with a really deep throw to DeAndre Hopkins using that same play fake. But, the, the, uh, I mean, I'm so mad at NFL Network. I almost said DeAndre Watkins because they've just completely ruined my brain, and I hate him so much. But Deshaun Watson was sacked six times in this game. So are you an anti-Texans offensive line guy where you blame the offensive line for everyone, every single one of Watson's sacks? Or are you somewhere in between? Or do you think it's mostly on him on the offense? Where do you stand on the pass protection right now? Um, splits. Uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of different aspects. So I'll sort of co- coalescing into co- yeah, coalescing. That's it. Coalescing is different. Yeah, I think um, it's coalescing. Yeah, coalescing. Uh, I think it's a bunch of different factors. Yeah, the Texans offensive line has has on, has on any given day just a random selection of, oh yeah, Senio Kelamente is not going to be able to block today. So you're going to have to work around that. Um, yeah, the, 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 and also I think teams are kind of figure it also. But yeah, if we just add pressure packages now and send more than five at any given time, unless they're playing max, or sorry, unless they've got max protection packages in at the time, yeah, we're going to be able to create pressure because their their offensive line is still quite shaky, and it's not going to be able to pick up every single blitz. They might be able to stone one or two, but they will leave gaps elsewhere, or they will miss late secondary blitzes, and there will be pressure created. Alongside of all this, Watson has kind of struggled um, getting some of the shorter reads. Now, this kind of changed for between the first and second half in that. The first mm-hmm. half, yeah, they were looking for developing a lot more, a lot more longer passes, a lot more production, a lot more play fakes. Um, and in the second half, it very much went from an air raid. Okay, we're just going to put four or five guys out wide, including the obligatory. Oh yeah, let's just put. Le- actually, let's just put 
one of our running backs out like as the X receiver on the outside for no good reason because they never throw to him. They just put their arm like it's either Lamar Miller or it's Tyler Irvin or it's whoever else. It's one of the stupidest things in the world about the Texans offense that I hate so much. Um, <laughs> but what that what that did is essentially spread the spread the offense about created simple scenarios where all you have to do is just read, pick, throw. Two or three seconds, three steps. Stuff like that creates a lot lot more easier throws for Watson. Creates a lot less time for him to actually uh, to read the defense, to understand, okay, I can't actually throw it there. Like there was an example, I think it was on the second offensive drive for the Texans on, in, in the game, and they got down to the red zone. And they took a sack due to the fact that, I think it was a, Hawkins was in the slot. And they were playing his own coverage, and Hawkins gets free release off the line. The nickel corner, yeah, nickel corner who's covering him passes him off in coverage, but before Hopkins can actually get free over the middle, the safety, or the safety on the opposite side of the field starts to track down immediately. Watson, initially, he pump, he pump fakes this because I do think he sees Hopkins breaking free, and then he sees the safety and is like, oh no, best not do that. So he has to hold it for a second longer. And that's the second that the defense takes to. Yeah, so, and I think that sack too, that was the one where Zach Fulton got bull rush six yards back. And then Watson takes a step back. And when he does so, uh, Henry Anderson has a chance to get off of Davenport's block, takes him down. Davenport gets credit for the sack, but he has good pass protection in that, in that play. But I believe that was that second sack that they allowed on that one where uh, Hopkins was able to break free, make, break free pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of and that's kind of a little bit of a microcosm. Watson is being Watson has to hold the ball a lot longer in certain situations. He has to make a lot more field reads or more a lot more quick reads. It's, it's just not really there for him kind of right now. It's not to say that he can't develop it. It's just in a lot of a lot of times he's being forced to make really really decisions and against splits and pressure. Sometimes that's not really um, conducive to a good environment because I think. This season, Watson's been played a lot more conservative. Like, he's not been just... I, I think there's a really interesting contrast between what he played when he broke onto the season last, last year and the way he's played this season. I think that's kind of due to the fact that he's playing a full, elongated version of the season. Teams have actually been able to scout him, being able to actually understand, okay, this is what his tendencies are. This is where we can attack him. Like, last season, he was just slinging the ball over, all over the place and creating just this ridiculous offense. At the same time, he was throwing interceptions and he was making one or two really dumb mistakes this game. Mm-hmm. I think, and a lot of them were taken advantage of too that year. Exactly. exactly. Like, or sorry, in, certain, in certain cases they were, in certain cases they weren't. But for this year, I think he made, there was a real kind of emphasis on, okay, let's restrict all of this so much. And in doing so, it's taken away a little bit of that just ridiculous edge that he kind of has where he'd just be slinging the ball all over the place. Um, so in those kind of senses, I think he's tapered back a little bit. And I think this is kind of, it's like getting used to a certain style of play and being able to kind of adjust to that. Um, whether or not, or like you could, you can say, yeah, he's professional. He should be doing that correctly. If you, if you've not really done it before, if you're not really used to it, like he's still a young quarterback, like let's not forget. And he's just past the 16 day mark in his season or say in his career now. Yeah, I think like three weeks ago or so he did. I know uh, Kenneth wrote an article about it, and that was probably about like four weeks ago. I don't, I really have no idea how time works at all anymore. You know, I read too much William Faulkner; it doesn't exist. 
But, um, yeah, my thing with this game, though, is like the pass protection. There is, you know, that one play where Fulton got blown back in the bull rush that opened up and the ball was held for a long time. Calamente had the other sack that he kind of allowed because the bull rush was bad. But it wasn't really entirely on the offensive line, a lot of it. A lot of it was holding the ball too long. And there wasn't really a lot of, like, just one-on-one, um, you know, battles being won. It wasn't like the Jets just rushed four and they beat him off the line immediately and brought down Watson. It was a lot of either big blitzes or stunts that kind of found their way through. And so I think one of the things that Houston you know, did well in this game was you know, throw the ball downfield to start the game off because that's kind of like what they should do. The way their offense looks in the first half was how it should work. But then it wasn't until like there was three minutes left in the fourth quarter after Watson had been sacked so many times, after the Jets were able to create a ton of pressure, especially from nickel blitzes, where they have two options. They either max, max protect or throw the ball quickly. And they opted to throw the ball out quickly. They put Hopkins lost slant route situations. He caught like every single one of them. And they moved the ball you know, really fast after that. And we're actually able to take advantage of the blitz instead of be you know, just scared and horrified by it and be taken advantage of by it. And so that was kind of like the weird thing about this game for me was that the Texans did make smart decisions. They did make the right decisions, but it took them 50 minutes, 55 minutes to come to this determination when it's been crushing them the entire game. The, the nickel blitzes are a good example where it's like put – Watson needs to recognize this at the play. Put the back where the nickel cornerback is. Say, okay, if he comes, you're going to block him. If he doesn't, read inside and out. If nobody comes, go out in the flat. You know, it takes way too long for them to make these adjustments, even though they actually made the adjustments. And again, like using Hopkins, it took Hopkins like 50 minutes to run a slant route against the blitz. And when he does, they pick up 25 yards. It's, like, it's not that hard, man. Like I understand football is a complicated game. There's a lot going on. But some of this stuff is super easy. And, uh, and that's kind of like ultimately like one of the frustrating things about Bill O'Brien. like he's smart. He makes changes. But he just makes them so far in advance than when they should have. It's like chipping. It took them seven weeks to learn how to chip despite having their tackles get beat over and over again. Yeah. And like this is this, – this is, it's not that Bill O'Brien has been – like there have, been, there have been moments when yeah, he's, had, he's been a really bad play caller, but there have been moments when – He's been he's he's been really really smart, really really intuitive in, in his designs and when he's thought about his schemes. It's just he doesn't do with any consistency, nor does he adjust very fast. That's really annoying because everyone else yeah. can see the problem, and you're just sitting there going, uh, "Can can you not can you not see this as a problem?" Like the first three the first three weeks are a great great example of this, where a lot of the same core concepts that were part of the Watson offense last year were super successful. Option, play action, stuff like that wasn't really heavily integrated within the offense. It was completely, it was kind of different. And you're just like, how, like, why would you, why would you change what works so phenomenally well? Even if you, even if you're concerned that other teams have scouted this, yeah. Like, there's seven, eight, well, there's like four, five weeks worth of film. You can change what you did, like, from then to now. You can add different things. Well, keep the core, same core principles the same. Again, it's just this kind of stuff is the really infuriating thing about Bill O'Brien sometimes. And also, like, you, can, you can make it better, too, you know? Yeah. Like, just add to it. You don't have to keep the exact same. And, like, I know, yeah, exactly what you're saying, because the Texans start off the first three weeks of the year or so running that run-run, shotgun-pass offense that Tom Savage tried to run last year they couldn't run, that Brian Hoyer tried to run they couldn't run that Ryan Mallett tried to run, that he couldn't run, that super smart Tom Brady offense, and nobody can run it all except for him. 
And then they go to week four when they're down 0-3. They run the play action. They use Watson as a runner. And it works. And the offense is pretty good again. And then, you know, obviously Watson had his lungs popped. and He couldn't fly an airplane at all anymore. And they had to reel him in as a runner and then kind of make things more conservative and stuff. I understand that. But, yeah, like what you're saying I think is exactly it, you know, where it's there, it's obvious, just keep doing what works, or this doesn't work, so change it now. Don't wait until 15 minutes later on the game or wait two weeks or so. Yeah. And the game to that, when you look at stuff like uh, this, 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 extent, this extends the offense to a larger kind of lar- larger set of issues within the organizations as a whole where – these are problems which still exist, but you guys need to kind of address them or deal with them. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck in a position like we talked about the secondary, where we haven't really hit and hit anything well here. So we're kind of stuck in this situation now. It was the same. It was the same for a long time with the quarterback position. Um, yeah, it didn't help that we're taxed. It wasn't good, um, or that entire or the entire three or four year, the first three or four years of O'Brien's tenure was delineated by uh i'm sure we could get by with ryan fitzpatrick right right yeah let's get him in here yeah but those those kind of things just those are the irritations to me it's just the, the really really simple things that should have been done a couple of weeks ago yeah i mean like i don't want to talk about the past though but i think even this year you know like deshaun watson's the quarterback they should score more than 25 points a game they haven't I understand like the offensive line issues start the year that took them all the fix. I understand Watson was hurt for, uh, you know, like four or five games there in the middle of it, but they should still have a better offense than what they have. Losing Will Fuller is hurt, not having Cutie hurts and that sort of thing, but I still feel like it should have been better. Uh, one of the things that made – the only reason why this offense worked at all this game is because of DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins is really good. Throw him the ball. He had 10 catches on 11 targets for 170 yards and two touchdowns. He also – I think – uh, Deshaun Watson threw for 280 yards, so he only threw 110 yards to other receivers that aren't DeAndre Hopkins. And like, whenever I watch Hopkins play, I always get this weird feeling that the Texans are like, we, he can't catch the ball too many times, you know? Like, 20 targets is too many. Like, you can't do that. And they put this, like, weird limitation on the happiness they can find. Uh, and it's, it's really strange. It's like, it feels like Hopkins could have got a lot more passes than what he got. He looked open the entire game. Morris Claiborne couldn't cover him. Tremaine Johnson wouldn't even try a press cover, cover him at all, which is weird. And then they played zone. Like, he just found the holes and sat there uh, really well. The only thing that stopped, their pa- stopped them from really throwing the ball well at all was just the pass rush and the blitzing and uh, the, the slot corner blitzes, the same thing that Indy did that had success as well, too. And so, you know, with the Texans, like, I don't know. Do you, do you ever get that feeling at all as well? They're like, Hopkins is really good. Just give him the ball. He can get 25 targets in the game. And it'll still be okay. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. No. I again, that's something which I definitely, definitely want. I think, I think it kind of harks back a little bit to, well, like, hmm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think. Like Bill O'Brien has usually had offensive sets which have had included five or six different receivers, and there's rarely been one or two which have beating a huge amount of targets. Yeah, Wes Welker and Randy Moss. But even they were existing in the same system, so they kind of had to share the load. In this system, it, it should all go to DeAndre, like every single little bit of it. Especially considering what the Texans have now, which is they don't have Will Fuller, they don't have Kiki Kuti. Um, Demarius Thomas is still in... Fine. It's, it's like there's... I, I would want to do a little bit more looking into Demarius Thomas. I, I mean... 
I said a couple. Of, I said a couple of weeks ago um, to, to, to in like in the listserv um, that I didn't that when the Texans acquired Demarius Thomas, I didn't think he'd have more than four targets in this season. Now I said that with the assumption that Kiki Kuti would be on it would still yeah. be because whenever he plays, he eats up all the tar- He eats up a big, big amount of targets. Like go back and look at the couple of games that Kuti and Fuller played together when they were when they were both active. Um, Kuti out-targeted Fuller on where he had the same amount of targets as in a couple of those games. Like it was, it was really interesting to watch, and like it will be something to kind of figure out, try and where whereabouts the offensive focus is going forward. Um, the second receiver kind of just gets Nate Washington, and just you know, run deep. Yeah, just run deep, dude. That's all you got to do. Just go, 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 go. go. Um, I'm still mad too that he told Andre Johnson he could only he would only have 40 targets in this offense and then signed Nate Washington instead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I understand Johnson wasn't good for the Colts that year and he was old and whatever. You still don't tell him that, and like you can still even then like don't tell him that. And 40 targets of Andre Johnson is better than 40 targets of Nate Washington. Oh hell yeah! I'm hell still yeah. I'm still I forgot how mad I am about that. <laughs> it's still there. Hey, I've got breaking news, guys. Yeah, let's hear it. This BRB, it? I got breaking news. I won the BRB Fantasy Football League. Oh, Back man. to your regularly scheduled program. Woo! I hate him so much. I do too. I mean, we're not going to talk um, about it. We're just getting more of that. Yeah. Hey, there's no, no politics at all on that red blog. No politics. No. <laughs> hey, no politics. Yeah, no, we're, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to leave that in the dark. Um along with pretty much anything that he says. Um, yes, going, going, back, going back to the topic at hand, um, yes, the Texans should be feeding a little more to Hopkins. The ways in which they are going to be able to do that, that's going to differ. Um, I do think putting him in the slot kind of helps in terms of getting off of bracketing and total coverage and stuff like that. Whether or not the Texans are going to want to commit to putting Hopkins in the slot full-time, especially when Kuti comes back, that's a different case. That's a different Scenario. And I think kind of it plays back into what I was talking about earlier with Watson being a little bit more cautious. Um, especially like we say well, throwing it to Hop- throwing it to Hopkins is like throwing an 80-20 ball, especially when he's covering it. So like yeah, like Nate, Nate Burleson said that very well. Yes. And to a large to a large extent it is true. However, Try and justify throwing into tight man coverage every single time. It's a little bit difficult. Like un- unless, unless like it's not something that you can empirically say. Yeah, he can, he's going to catch it every single time. No, he's not. Mm-hmm. He can do it a lot of times, and he can do a lot of stuff which you just don't expect, or which is statistically or percentage wise very very low, or sorry, very unlikely to happen. But at the same time. Like his looks as a whole are going to be in contested situations, and if you want to take those chances, yeah, give you his target numbers and his reception numbers might just skyrocket. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to have a quarterback that's willing to do that, and you've got to have a offense that is willing and willing and okay with taking those risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you talk about him in the slot. I think it's good whenever you play teams that blitz a lot. Like they threw some really nice fades over to him in this game. Uh, especially like whenever you have the cornerback turning and running, whenever you see that, just throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. Don't think about it. And what I admire most about the offense in this one was just they put the ball to him downfield. You know, that big uh, throw they have, that 54-yard touchdown off the play-action pass. So that was just like what he did to 
you know, Darrell Revis, you know, four years ago or whatever. Like the throws on the sideline on this face that they're throwing now, those are good routes. Just keep doing that. And whenever QD comes back, I think they'll help against the Blitz as well too. Ryan Griffin shouldn't play ever again. Like he, like him and Alfred Blue, just fill them full of rocks, drop them in the ocean, don't ever think about them ever again. And you know, Deontay Foreman may be back this week, so maybe that's more of a, a chance of happening too. But yeah, DeAndre Hopkins is really good throwing the ball. And so I think like overall in this game, the, the few things that like Houston did was they threw the ball downfield. They gave it to DeAndre Hopkins a lot. They switched their pass rush with Watt, Clowney, and Merciless with Watt on the inside. Uh, I like the 4-3 a lot they ran. I also enjoyed uh, they went to quick passing whenever the Jets started blitzing. And – you know, like that's that's five or six big things that were important to help them win a really close game, a game a lot of people weren't expecting to be as close as it was. But these are the type of decisions and added strategies they're gonna have to do with the secondary they have because they're never, I think, gonna be able to put anybody away totally because anybody can throw the ball against them whenever they actually take chances to. Um, and so with the run game, they couldn't run the ball again. Did you see any reason specifically for it? Um, I think it was just offensive line struggles more than anything else. Um. I'd want to see the individual spray charts in terms of uh, directions which they were running, if they were running more interior power runs or if they are over more, um, more sort of spread zone looks. Um, that can be oftentimes, that is oftentimes what causes massive drops off in the run game. Uh, it's like the Texans, the Texans run game, I've never believed, I've never really had confidence in it being a consistent thing. Um, I think it's more of a just like week to week, depending on who we're playing or if or whether or not we can actually um, get anything out of it. Then yeah, this is this this, this might actually work. Um, but yeah, it's 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 difficult to say. I I wouldn't feel comfortable spinning one thing in particular for being reasonable. A this worked or B this worked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw last two weeks was one last week. Jabal Sheard was Jadavion Clowney whenever he, mess, whenever he was matched up against Kendall Lamb. Like, he completely obliterated the entire right side of the line and gave Darius Leonard a ton of open uh, lanes to run through. And then this week, Kelamente was bad, Martin was bad, Fulton was bad. And look like they ran a lot outside zone, but they just couldn't reach the three technique at all. And so constantly they were in the backfield. And I, I saw a lot of outside zone this game, but Blue just didn't have anywhere to cut the ball back out at all. He was constantly just running, you know, two yards. He's one yard in the backfield, and there's a guy in front of his face. And so losing, losing Lamar Miller hurts. Alfred Blue's not good at playing football. But the offensive line was the main reason for the, the run block, was for the terrible run game. It wasn't entirely all in Alfred Blue. Like, we're so easy to say and pin it all on him. And often it's true that it is him. But this was one of those cases where it was entirely him. Yeah, um, it's it's the unfortunate nature of when you're running back, or sorry, when you're giving one second just carry numbers. Uh, oh, he only had nine carries this week. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. When you're giving, when you're, oh my, sorry, I'm just looking at the numbers and reminding myself that he had nine yards. So he had nine carries for six yards, as long as being five. <laughs> so he had eight carries where he either made no yardage or lost yardage. So that is absolutely phenomenal. That is. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like the Houston's, the, te- the Texans are 32nd rush offense DVOA after this game, though. That's even better than that Cleveland Brown games from a couple of years ago where they rushed Albert Blue like 32 times in one game. I remember that game. And he oh. had like 75 yards rushing. That was the game where Watt caught that touchdown pass. No, no, I think he had like 156. He actually – it, 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 like his 
yards per carry was wasn't that great. I I think, but yeah, he they just essentially just gave him the ball all game. Yeah, because uh, I feel like Ryan Mallett started that game. I know JJ Watt caught a touchdown. I I was in the desert at the time, so I watched on condensed version. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wasn't I wasn't really there for it. But anyways, we'll take a we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about the playoffs briefly, very briefly and then preview the Texans' uh, upcoming game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're back. So as of right now, the Houston Texans are the number two seed in the upcoming 2018 NFL playoffs because the New England Patriots lost the Pittsburgh Steelers, something that hasn't happened in their last five tries against them. And actually, I don't know if that's true. I just know the Patriots have won their last – five games against the Steelers. I don't know if they won the sixth game or the seventh game, but they won the last five games against them. The Chiefs lost as well, but that matters more about the Chargers and MC West uh, because they do have a game on the Texans, but the Texans could potentially even catch them as well too. And so with that, with the Texans as the two seed, they play the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday. They play the Jacksonville Jaguars next Sunday. Don't say anything about it. This is my only advice to everybody. Don't celebrate it. Don't enjoy it. Don't, you know, masquerade in it. Don't run around revelry in it because this is the Houston Texans. They don't get the number two seed in the playoffs. I remember 2012. I remember them losing to the Minnesota Vikings in just a meaningless, terrible game in week 16. Like nothing happens for sure until it happens with this team. So don't go around being so excited yet. Wait until it happens, and then when it happens, then you can enjoy it. Another example was last year whenever the Astros won the championship, and everybody, all the Houston people said, we're about to enter a glory age of Houston sports. We're about to be a title town, this and that. Then Deshaun Watson tears his ACL the following day. Then Chris Paul gets injured in the playoffs after being a 3-2 or 2-1 on the Golden State Warriors. I can't remember. It was something like that. 3-2 or 2-1. They lost the last two games and I got knocked out of the postseason. So don't do it. Just wait until it happens for sure. And then we can be excited about this bye and only having to win one game to get to an AFC title game and go farther than any Houston Texan ever has gone before. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. I think that you can make that into a really catchy slogan of just like optimism. Just don't. Yeah. It's, don't ever. It's not, it's not optimism. It's don't have like expectations. Never have expectations. <laughs> about anything. Just like do your best. Try to enjoy things. And if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, at least you didn't think it was going to be good and you won't be let down all ever. Or I'll remember that next time you yeah. object to me hitting you in the face with a frying pan. That works. That Expectations works. of it's going to hurt. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I could probably wear that in some way, but I'm not, I'm not feeling it right now. But the Texans are playing the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday, and Nick Foles is starting at quarterback. And we're not going to do this again. Like, this can't happen. Oh, why can't we? Like, no why can't way. we? There's no, there's no way. There's no way. You listen. You can't deny that. I I I, I personally think because I'm trying to remember what what the circumstances for why Wentz went down. I think there was a report um, along the lines that the team doctors had failed to inform Wentz that he actually had a fracture in his back. Yeah. Um. And I want to say. Well, I want to think that they strategically kept it till this point of the season, where they're just like, listen. Carson's never done this before. We trust him. We trust him like the previous 14 games. Nick, Nick's done this before. It's, yeah. the, it, it's the Nick time of year. Let's get Nick out there. So it's just like, Carson, it's okay. It's okay. We, we'll, we'll put you aside. You go rest your back. 
like repair everything that he needs repairing. Hank, would you mind coming in here and leading us to the playoffs, please? Hank. Yeah, it's full summer, you know. Exactly. Just some, suddenly Nick Foles comes out. It's just like, oh, they're, they're calling my number again. Nick, Nick Foles is the closer of the Philadelphia Eagles season. Yeah. He is he is K Rod coming in at the last at the last <laughs> moment to just start throwing fastballs and sliders. That's all he's meant for. Yeah. I you know, yeah. like I the Nick Foles thing was cool last year. He only played two good games in the entire run as well, too. Like he was bad against the Falcons. He was bad against they did not play the Rams, but he was bad against the Falcons. He was good against the Vikings. He was great against the Patriots. And like he did just enough, you know. But uh, I, I just – I mean, I can't see – it'd be like Joe Flacco doing it again. He didn't do it. I can't see Foles doing it again. I'm not expecting it. But, I don't know, if it happens, it's really going to make me question everything I think about reality, for sure. Really? What? what? You're, saying a single, you're, saying, you're saying a single elimination setting in which a quarterback – in which a player only has to play two to three really good games – or even just competent games. Just two. He only played two good games last year. And he wants to. Yeah, you don't, you don't think that could happen again? I mean, I think so, but it's just like for him to win another Super Bowl, I'm, I'll probably have to like just leave forever. Like, no, this, yeah. none of this is real. I'm just no, no, I'm, like, again, I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm kind of joking here, but I am just from pointing to highlights. It's just like, yeah, the, playoff, the playoffs is not a good indicator of who is the best team. Like, the 16 games prior to what we've got now are a good indicator because that's, you know, a larger sample size, leading mm-hmm. against multiple different teams. Yeah, it just if, if Nick Foles gets hot, you're all screwed, guys. This is like, that's the end of it. Everyone shuts up shop. Saints, what, we are going to finish the season 14-2? and two? Screw you. Here comes Nick Foles. Yeah, and here comes the offensive downturn. You least expected it. And this <laughs> also happened in, the, in our fantasy football league this year with uh, BFD2. I was number one seed. I had the best team all year long. Uh, he just got hot at the right time. He Nick Foles did. Yeah. My team does a fantastic job of doing that. And, you know, uh, I bank on Tampa Bay quarterbacks. Is <laughs> any better alternative? Yeah. So this week the Texans are playing the Eagles. They're playing at 12 o'clock. Uh, are you worried about the Eagles right now? Are you worried about Nick Foles? And do you think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to throw the ball against the Houston Texans? Because that's really all that matters for this to be a close game. Right now. <laughs> we're, back, we're back to yield Matt Weston's uh, flow chart of, is this team going to be the Texans to the ball? Yes. No. Yeah. Um, it's, been, it's been pretty simple this year. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think the Eagles are going to run that ball that much. And I don't think they really can do so effectively because, quite frankly, they've lost a whole lot of talent. Um, they've lost J.J. They lost his replacement, Corey Clements. Um, so they're relying on Wendell Smallwood to generate a lot of – Their uh, offensive line hasn't been that good this year either. Like, it really, like even Lane Johnson hasn't been that good this year. Mm. Uh, and even if those going to have an off drop, then, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not really looking good. Um, what's really going to matter is how the Texans' defense copes with their screen game and their extension of the ground game towards the outside, uh, especially with screen passes like Golden Tate or like short, short stuff to Nelson Aguilar or – any of the plethora of receivers, which they may look to do so. If they can get that kind of stuff generated and create short, simple throws for foals, which they very well might because, you know, uh, Texans play five to sorry, three to five yards off. Yeah. You know, that's that's a likely thing which might happen. Um, yeah, I am kind of scared because foals can throw the ball. Um, and I do think that the 
I think the, the strengths of the Eagles receiving cores kind of match up well with the weaknesses of the Texans defense as a whole. Um, I think we're going to have another interesting case uh, of can the Texans cover a tight end, like a really good one, because um, Zach Ertz is that, and Dallas Goodert is well, working his way towards being that also, but Ertz in particular, um, especially against the cover four that the Texans run, in which they have safeties that crash heavy, heavily on like two wide receiver sets, so they have the safeties essentially come down out of their middle zones and back the receivers and, and um, essentially vacating the middle of the defense. Um, I could very much see the Eagles starting to push Zacherts and Telescope straight down the seams and forcing, this, forcing essentially the safeties to stick into the middle of the field because, you know, giving Zacherts free running room is not a good idea. Um, and this essentially places the corners of, yeah, you're going to be on an island alone. You've got to play five minutes off and just protect against the defense. So that's going to essentially create free open routes underneath all day. That's kind of what I'm concerned about more than anything else. However, I am optimistic in a certain sense because uh, the Eagles secondary is really struggling. With yeah, they have one good player. Malcolm Jenkins is the only good player, and the rest is just terrible. Well, the rest are injured, um, which yeah. is terrible. Uh, but <laughs> in a matter of speaking, but yeah, they have really, really struggled with uh, health in the quarterback position. So yeah, there's a great possibility for the Texans to actually put a decent amount of points here. Again, the big pressure, the big question is going to be how does their offensive line interact with the Eagles front four, which is really, really good. Fletcher Cox kicks an unholy amount of um, posterior. Um, Brandon Graham is really, really good and really underrated. He's like Gerald McCoy, but, you know, for edge players. Um, Timmy Jernigan and Derek Barnett, who I believe are the other two players that play on that yeah, line. Bar- Barnett's oh. out, and then Jernigan just came back. But they have a Lodi Nada. People forget that. I forgot about yeah, him. He plays there. Yeah. Chris Long plays there. But yeah, like you watch, you watch her. Michael Bennett plays there. And so, like, you watch, their, you watch their defense and you're like, how are they bad? They have that guy. They have that guy, too. They have that guy. <laughs> and yeah, like their defense, I think, was 20th in DVOA last time I checked, too. So I don't know. But yeah, I think that's kind of mm-hmm. the key there is if Watson can throw the ball downfield, which I think he should be able to. I think it's be like him and Foles in some weird quarterback matchup. And then it's just going to be kind of, can the Texans actually block the Eagles front four? Uh, and this is going to be like the real test for this idea that the Texans offensive line isn't that bad. It's the, other, it's the other reasons for their issues with pass protection, not the players themselves. And this is a big test against it. This is going to be a lot of one versus one blocks. It's going to be a lot of, uh, let's see how Julian Davenport does against Michael Bennett. Let's see how that goes. And so I'm really excited for that game and this game in general because I think we'll see a lot of points, we'll see a lot of throwing downfield, and we'll have a big answer about this offensive line too. Mm-hmm. I, and it's I think also going to be an interesting case study in terms of when it comes down to us, can Texas put up a lot of points on a defense, which does look a little bit sketchy. Because yeah. that's, again, this is going to be one of the key, key factors that we're going to have to watch going into the playoffs is can the Texans score teams, can they go – toe-for-toe, blow-for-blow, 30, 40 points a game. This is, this, is what they, this is what they're going to need to do. Yeah, they're going to need to score 31. And this is the game to see if they can score 31. Uh, but, yeah, like, I'm super excited for this game. And I'm glad that this game actually matters for the Eagles. I'm glad that the Eagles kind of, like, pose these different, you know, unique challenges. And these, they're, actually, they're not just playing teams that run the ball 40 times for, you know, two yards of carry anymore. 
And so we're actually going to have some interest and intrigue, you know, involved as we're going, as the Texans march to the playoffs too. Yeah. However, that team that you were just talking about, that happens, happens the week after when they play Jacksonville. Yeah. I'm so sad. It's not going to be an AFC South title game. Whenever that game oh. happens, I'm hopping an airplane. I'm flying to it. We ever get week 17 AFC South title game. That and a Texas State bowl game, the two football games I'm waiting for. Uh, so who do you want to be the number six seed in the NFC? Not who you think is going to be, but who you want to be. Oh, who do I want to be? I want the Panthers. I okay. Yeah. I want, I want the Panthers because I think their offense is super cool and really, really interesting. And I really, really like Christian Covington and Curtis Samuel a lot. Do I think that they'll make it? Uh, yeah, they, get, they have to play the Saints again. And the Saints have to win games, so. I'm yeah. not either. And I would want the Panthers if Cam Newton is healthy. Yeah, I would. I, I think the Panthers are a really cool and funky team, and really, really interesting to watch. I think it would be the they would be the most interesting to watch. Um, Eagles would be cool as well, just for the whole Nick Foles. You know, let's let's see where let's see where this train goes again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I say. Hmm. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm looking at the current six teams, which are slated for the NFC. I'm just thinking. Would I rather? Would I rather the Seahawks over Eagles? Well, Seahawks are probably in the five seed, though. They're kind of locked in there, so it's like the Eagles, the Vikings, the Panthers, somehow maybe, and that's kind of it for the six seed. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the Redskins, the Redskins aren't going to win. Oh my god! Actually, yeah. If the Red, I oh, I kind of want the Redskins now to get it because I think it'd be great to watch Josh Johnson in the playoffs. I think that'd be very, very fun. <laughs> it'd be a Disney story. I I don't want to see Minnesota in it just because I'm mad at them. Like Kirk Cousins averaging four and a half yards an attempt, like that's slightly better than Brock Osweiler, but like that that can't happen at all. So I want to see the Eagles in it just because I want Nick Foles. Like, I, I really want to see how real reality is. And so I want to see Nick Foles, and I want to see him lose me first on the playoffs, hopefully. And so that's what one I'm going to One of my earliest football memories actually involves Josh Johnson. Uh, I remember watching, uh, it was like 2007 or so, Tampa Bay Buccaneers against New England Patriots in, uh, in London. Um, I remember watching that game on TV and just seeing Josh Johnson getting intercepted twice. Um, one of which was, I think, a pick six. And I was just like, man, this guy isn't good at this. I hope he's good at things. <laughs> and now here he is. Eight and now it just, it just, here he is. And I just, oh, I hope he does well at this. Just just, just so I can kind of replace that memory of him being crap with a new one of just him yeah. being. Uh, yeah, I I think the way in which it's going to sketch out in terms of the NFC picture is going to be, Really, really interesting to look at. I think if it, I want, I want to, I want a repeat of. Actually, I want the Bears to take on the Saints now, because we've seen how they've done against the Rams, and like the Bears' defense might be legitimately terrifying. Yeah, it's like the only good. It's on the. It's the only really good defense out there. Yeah, it's it's the only like okay, this these guys might actually get carried um, all the way to the playoffs by their defense. Um, whereas, whereas like some of the others, you're just like. Eh, you know, if they pop off, they can kind of get away with some of this stuff. But, yeah, I, want to, I want to see how the Saints defense goes against the Bears. Um, and also how the Bears offense kind of handles, um, like, playoff, playoff football to a certain degree and whether or not Mitch Trubisky is actually good or not. Um, this, yeah, I don't think he's good yet, but I think he'll, he will be good. I think he's picking up things pretty quick. Uh, yeah, so what's your prediction for this game? 
for the Eagles Texans. Yeah, I'm going to take. All right, I'm going to take the Texans. I'll take. Um, let's see, Texans twenty-seven, Eagles sixteen. Oh, wow. okay. I think so that's, a, that's a fair amount. Yeah, so I'm sticking to my guns. I think the Eagles are going to throw the football, and I think Nick Foles <laughs> is better than Sam Darnold, and so I think the Eagles are going to score a lot of points, and they're going to win thirty-one twenty-seven, and the Texans are finally going to understand that. Hey, hey. We gotta score more than twenty-seven points. We're gonna score like thirty-four points, uh, and those sorts of things. My my pick may change if Cutie plays this week, or if Deontay Foreman plays this week, and if Lamar Miller plays this week. But as of right now, I think the Eagles just like barely win, and then the Eagles are also putting the Redskins the following week too. So I don't know. I just, and also I think like, even though I do like the Texans' offensive line more than others do, I still don't think it's very good. I don't think it's good, but I think it's pretty good. And so I think they're gonna struggle a lot with their front four too. It's uh, it's it's a, still a work in progress. And yeah, asking asking a lot of Texans fans to accept that and to kind of just like they might be good later down the road, but if we kick them to the curb now, we're never going to know, and it's mm-hmm. going to take a, a, it's going to force us to invest a lot more resources into like essentially rebuilding us and completely ignore other parts of the team, debate uh, defensive backs and corners to be. To be precise, because if you're going to rebuild the offensive line, you're not going to be able to rebuild the corners. Yeah. Um, and like a bunch of other different positions um, across the team. But yeah, it's uh, it's a work in progress, and I would I would advise patience for now. Because yeah. I, I was thinking about this too. Um, take a look at Derek Newton. Um, how long how long did it take for him to actually develop into some something that we would consider good? I, I remember writing about him in 2014. Like he's good at, at run blocking. He just needs to play lower. And then it took him like all of 2014 to figure that out. And then he was really good in 2015, 2016. And then Von Miller just tore both of his knees <laughs> in one move, which is still like the scariest thing ever. Yeah, but like the the, the taper on from that is that he was drafted in 2013. It took him what two, three seasons yeah. or so for him to fully actualize what he was so give it time Julian Davenport is making steps he is making progress Martinez ranking and Davenport's better than Newton was too just because he actually pass block and he can one-on-one block uh, I still like to see ranking at right tackle a little bit also but yeah I do I do agree that offense cornerback is more important than offensive line for this team yeah, yeah like one, one over the other. So just let's give more patience, give more snaps to some of the younger offensive linemen. Um, we'll see how that kind of we'll see how that kind of plays out. Like Kent Lamb has even improved acres from what he used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just look at just look at him playing left tackle last year in week one, and then compare it to what we have now, and it's like, yeah, this guy's actually made you know sizable sizable improvements. So yeah, let's he's, actually, he's, he's merely confident now. Oh, he's not quite. <laughs> And like he's he's like falls in between the two, but yeah, he's been a lot better than I would have ever assumed he was ever going to be. Exactly, and merely competence can oftentimes get get you by, yeah. especially when you don't want to pay five or six. Well, you don't want to pay two or three, three or four offensive linemen massive contracts or second contracts. Even having a guy, having a guy like that who can just keep tickering over can actually create a lot of bit of like a lot of flexibility all around the team. Um, so, so yeah, that would, that would kind of be one of the things which I would just ask people to just be a little bit softer. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And be, be, you know, as BFD, BFD and I have done this show this year too, 
that's one of the things he said also like ah, you know i was mad i hurt my feelings watching that before give up sacks and stuff. i was like well you know these are all new guys just give it some time it's been better um as that's happened which is like a 1975 song too and then also yeah i don't know i don't have anything else to say anymore but anyways thank you for listening to Red radio thank you for being on tonight luke We'll be back. I'll be doing the week 15 preview. I guess today's Tuesday, so Thursday night will be available Thursday night, Friday morning. And then we'll be back on next Tuesday to talk solely about the Houston Texans and the Texans playing Nick Foles uh, this Sunday. So, anyways, thank you for being on tonight, Luke. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And my name is Matt Weston. <laughs>